He does. He always has something for you. You come expecting, and he's got something for you. I want to welcome our live stream audience. I want to bless you. I want to thank you for being our guest this morning. I want to encourage everyone to share the stream. How many knows the world needs Jesus? Huh? Just look out your front window, and we say, good God, this world needs Jesus. 24-7. So share the stream. Share Jesus with somebody. Put it out there. Uh, we're doing the Gospel of John, and we're in John chapter 10. So I'm going to share with you 10 verses, and then we're going to unpack it. I haven't taught in the last two weeks because we had a guest speaker, and then my beloved wife last week taught. So I'm wired for sound. I'm trying to contain myself a little bit. So yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go at a slow pace, I hope, God willing. Uh, so anyway, we'll read it. We'll start it out. We'll read it. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus is speaking, the one who does not enter by the sheepfold door but climbs in another way, this one is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger's voice they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used upon them, but they did not understand what he was saying. And so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, say it with me, they will be saved. They will go in and come out and find pasture. And then he tells them the thief comes not to, but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to ha- that you may have life and life in more abundantly. So this is, amen, come on. Yes. So this is a continuation of a conversation that began in chapter 8 and carried on into chapter 9. In chapter 8, there was a woman that was found in adultery. Jesus is in the temple. He's in the court of the women, right? That's where he was. That's where Jesus taught in the temple, but she didn't know that either. It was an illegitimate court, actually. There's no prescription for the court of the women. In the Bible, the Jews had created this. The Pharisees had created this. And so Jesus is like, your rule's not mine. And so he would stand in the temple, and he would usually stand in the, in the court of the women. We know that because that's where the treasury was. And so Jesus was always teaching where the treasury was, and the treasury was in the court of the women. And so Jesus is there, and in chapter 8, they bring him a woman in adultery, and this sort of long, elongated conversation begins with these Pharisees and these Sadducees. If you're not familiar with what, what, what a Pharisee is or what a Sadducee is, in Israel... It was a religious society. God had originally designed these people to be a theocracy, not a democracy, not a republic, not a dictatorship, but a theocracy. God had originally called the nation to be under his rule through his prophets, but the people didn't want that. They wanted a king. And so they wanted, you know why? They said, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king like everybody else. Anytime the people of God diminish themselves to to wanting to be like everybody else, they lose something. And Israel lost a great deal because they didn't want to be under the Lord's leadership and the following of the Spirit. They wanted to be under a king like everyone else. And so Israel fell underneath a king. And into this king, they they had a religious society They created a council called the Sanhedrin. Seventy elders ruled the nation, religious leaders. There was, I think, 15% of the population of Jerusalem were were, were Pharisees or Sadducees. 
And in Israel, there were different groups. There were different religious groups, different belief systems. You had a group called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the legalists. They were the rule keepers. They were the very strict adherents of the word of God. They believed the law, which is Moses. They believed the prophets. They believed really the, all of the, whole, of the Old Testament. They believed in the resurrection from the dead, but they were really massive control freaks. Everybody say it with me. They were very fair, they were very fair. you see. So they were Pharisees, right? Rule keepers, fair, you see, right? So then you have another group called the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe the prophets. The Sadducees were another group. So the Pharisees held the sway of the people. They controlled the temple. They controlled the, 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 the influence of the people. The Sadducees, their power was connected to Rome. They were the political influencers of the nation. They were still religious. They actually controlled the high priest. The, 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 the high priest was a Sadducee, which is another story entirely, another thing entirely. But anyway, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in supernatural power. That's very sad, you see. They didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. That's very sad, you see, right? They didn't believe in any of the prophetic books. They only believed the first five books of Moses, and that's very sad, you see. So you have the Sadducees and you have the Pharisees, and so that gives you an understanding of where these people are coming from and what they're doing. There was another group called the Essenes. The Essenes, so they were just like the... These are, these, are your, these are your Old Testament preppers. That's what the Essenes were. These are the people that were like, they're apocalyptic. This world's going to end. We're all going to go live in the desert. And so they had created desert communities. That's where we found the Dead Sea Scrolls was in an Essene community, right? They checked out on society. You know, they put, you know, 500 gallons of gasoline in the ground, you know, put their own, you know, they were just basically prepping for the end times. They became culturally irrelevant. You understand that? So the Essenes were there. Then there was another group in, in Israel. They were Jews too. They were called Herodians. And the Herodians weren't necessarily loyal to Rome. They were loyal to the illegitimate king whose name was Herod. And so these were all people that were playing into power too. So the groups that you'll see, you don't really see the Essenes. And you know why the Essenes aren't mentioned in the Bible? It's because they're irrelevant. They're out in the middle of nowhere. You know, you say, well, we got the word from them. They kept the word. Yeah, they did that right. But the rest of the stuff, they, didn't, they were irrelevant. So the Bible doesn't even mention them. But the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the, Essene, and the, and the Herodians are mentioned. And the Herodians were basically Jewish sellouts to Herod. Herod was an illegitimate king. So when you read this, and as you kind of get on, especially when Jesus is getting ready to be crucified, you'll have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians, and they all come together. They couldn't agree on anything else, but they would agree that Jesus isn't the Messiah. That, that was their unifying principle. And the reason that they, they unified against Jesus was because Jesus was a threat to their system. Do you understand that? They had established a system of control that benefited them. It was a system that God had not ordained and God did not set up. And Jesus flew right in the face of it, right in the face of it. And that's why you see all of these confrontations going on with them. And they're challenging him and challenging him and challenging him because what he was teaching was a threat to their system. And Jesus's attitude is, is these are your rules. These aren't mine, right? I didn't establish these rules. You did. I'm under no obligation to keep your rules. I don't subordinate to you. I am the Lord of the Sabbath, not you, right? I am the resurrection and the life. I rule the living and the dead, not you, right? This is who he is. And so Jesus isn't here subordinating. He said, what shall we liken this generation to? We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We, we sang sad songs and you didn't sing them with us. In other words, Jesus is like, you're a group of people who are trying to get me on your agenda, you're a group of people who are trying to get me to play your tune 
and sing your songs and play your laments. He's like, I'm not on your agenda. I'm on my father's agenda. He came into the world on a mission, on a mission. He subjected himself to the father. He is equal with God. He is the Elohim, capital E. He is a part of the triune Godhead. And he went on a rescue mission for you and me. He is the one who came down. He said over and over in the, book, in the Gospel of John, I came down, I came down. No one has come down. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who came down. And Muhammad didn't ascend, but Jesus did because Jesus came down. He came down. He, over and over again, he says these things. He separated himself. He set aside his deity. The Bible says it didn't, he did not consider equality with God to be necessary for him to hold because he wasn't interested in his position. He's interested in you. Aren't you glad we have a king who is not self-serving? Aren't you glad that you have a God who loves you? Do you understand that? If you get that, the Bible says, why do we serve Jesus? We don't serve Jesus out of rules. Paul says, the love of Christ compels me. Because he loves me like no other, I will love him. Because he loves me on my worst day, I will be loyal to him. You understand that? This is who God is. He came down. And so Jesus is in this temple, and he's in the court, and he's having these debates, and the Pharisees are throwing all this stuff at him. That woman in adultery, they want, their questions mainly revolve around two things. Who do you think you are? That's their first question. And then the second question was, what is the source of your power? What is the source of your power? And so Jesus begins to distinguish himself from them in the last chapter, and he says, I am my father. And he said, well, you are of your father, the devil, which is an interesting thing. Because you see, in Jesus' economy, there aren't many paths. There aren't many worlds. You're either in the Father, through the Son, or you are of the devil. It's cut and dry. There's no middle ground with Jesus. We think, well, I'm over here, and you know, we all kind of serve the same God. No, we don't. Jesus said it out of himself. They're saying, we're sons of Abraham. He said, if you were sons of Abraham, you would believe in me. And they said, we're sons of God. He said, you're not sons of God. You're not begotten of the Father. That's what he tells them. You're sons of your father, the devil. Straight up. There's no, it's black and white. We're either in the kingdom or we're under the devil. You don't have to worship the devil to be under the power and the influence of the devil. You understand that? Yes. He tells them who the sun sets free is free indeed. They say, we've never been prisoners. How many knows there's change you can't see? You understand that? They don't have to be physical chains. There's plenty of bondages that exist without having you ever seeing, seeing them. You don't have to worship. You can worship Oscar Mayer Bologna. He doesn't care. You can build an altar to Cadillac. You can build an altar to the Miami Dolphins. You can build an altar to yourself. You can build an altar to your degrees, all of your human achievements. See, in America, we don't worship idols. We worship self. The, the, the problem, and what I tell people all the time, my, my well, I don't, he's far more than an intern to me, but, you know, one, one of the guys who works with me is Alex. He comes from India. It's like, you want a God? Pick one. I mean, and if there's no gods there that, 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 that are good for you, you can make one up and start a new religion in India. Nobody cares. You can be the swami of the tree if you want to be. You can start a brand new religion. Nobody cares. And I told him, I said, you guys work, worship a plurality of gods. America's worse. Because actually what we're doing is we're manifesting more towards the satanic than they are. Because the satanic was the worship of self. That is the sin of the garden. 
And so America may not have idols on every corner, but we're more idolatrous towards the self than, than the people over, overseas, than India is. It's just the truth. We worship the self. We worship the intellect. We are intellectual idolaters. That's what America is. We worship the rational. If it doesn't make rational sense, we deny it, and we think we have the authority to do so. Well, I don't believe there is a God. Well, who gave you that power? Right? Who anointed you with that power to declare whether God exists or not? Well, I think God is this, or I think God is that. You don't have that power. That's actually the sin of the garden. You're proclaiming yourself to be God. It's not God as you understand him to be. It's who he declares himself to be. It's the idea of surrendering your life to Jesus. Jesus is God. You are not. Kingdom rule one, you know nothing. You know nothing. That offends you? I don't make any apologies. Jesus said, you must come as a child. What do children know? Not much. Not much. What's that baby know? Not much. That baby knows who his mommy is or her mommy. It's a girl. Boy, right? Boy, Boy who his mommy is, knows who his daddy is. That's about all that baby knows. Maybe Jima. Maybe he knows Grammy, you know? That baby doesn't know calculus. That baby doesn't know how to drive a car. But he knows the love of his mother, knows the love of his father. We must become as a child. When we become as a child and we know nothing and we begin to follow him, then we become, we know everything. Then the, then the universe is ours. The capacity is ours. We, when you have to set aside your intellect, you have to set aside your understanding, what you think, what you believe, all this other stuff, you know nothing. You know nothing. As Christian, long time been schooled, whole thing, coming into this thing, wanting something different, pushed up against the walls of all of the establishment of the church, boom, 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 can't go further. Everybody's like, you just got to accept the way it is, Kevin. It's the way it's been. Bless God. It's been no, no change. And I said, well, what if there's more? What if there's more? Because in my spirit, I feel that there's more. In my heart, I know there's more. And I don't want to settle for what you guys have all settled for. I want, I don't say with me, there's a difference between measure and fullness. There's a difference. There's a big difference between measure and fullness. Fullness is a quest. And I'm on a quest for fullness. That's the journey I'm on. What if there's more? And I go to the Lord and I begin to seek God and I begin to ask the Lord about a bunch of various topics, tons of them. He begins to instruct me. Then I, you know what I ask him for? Kingdom, king's dominion. The dominion, the dominance, the ruling, reigning power of God in every sphere of life. I begin to ask him for that. He tells me, start with you. Bring your life under my dominion. Bring your time, bring your body, bring your money, bring your energy, bring your creativity, bring every part of you under my dominion. See, most Christians don't even get this. Oh, we're saved and we're going to heaven. But there's, again, there's a difference between being in the kingdom and manifesting the kingdom. Big difference. Big difference. Night and day. I've been in the kingdom for a long time, but I really wasn't manifesting the kingdom. You understand? Because I was not allowing the dominion of God to rule me in every sphere of my life. The dominion of God must rule my mind. The dominion of God must rule my heart. The dominion of God must rule my desires, must rule my choices. Every sphere of my life, this is where kingdom begins. And then I'm like, okay, Lord, I want kingdom. I'm bringing my life under the alignment. Everything is whatever you want, Jesus, whatever you want. Whatever you want. And he's like, you want, you want to manifest kingdom, Kevin? Rule one, you know nothing. That's a very offensive thing to say to somebody who spent their life studying. But you see what I studied? I studied what others had learned or what others had taught me. 
And that only brought me so far. When I begin, that's, that's necessary. I will say that. That's necessary. But I needed to go further. And so I needed another teacher. And the Lord gives us one who's called the Holy Spirit. So that's another story for another day. I'm completely tracking down the road. I told you I haven't taught in two weeks, so I've got a lot to say. Anyway. So we have another teacher, and that, that teacher will elevate us. That teacher will show us great and mighty things that we know not of. He'll take you past what you believe. Say it with me. The Holy Spirit, this is important for some of you, will never violate his word. But he has no problem violating my understanding. He'll never violate his word, but he will blow your mind. He will violate what you understand. He will violate what you think and expect. This is another reason why God shows up. A lot of times people get disappointed because they're so focused on God doing it a certain way. God's brought great deliverance into my life many times, and a couple things have been earth-shattering to me when God brought it about. And I'm just like dumbfounded. And I'm just talking with the whole, I'm like, is this, is this, is this true? Is this real? It's like, yeah, it's true. And I'm like, well, this isn't the way I expected it. It was done in a different way than what I had in mind, right? And the Lord said, am I obligated to your expectations or am I obligated to my word? Did I tell you I would heal you? Am I obligated to doing it the way you think or am I obligated to doing it to what I, to what I said? Did I tell you I would deliver you? Is my obligation to you in the manner that you expect me to do it in? Or is my obligation to you to deliver you? Whether I deliver you, come on, Casey, you can talk all about deliverance. We've been down that road a few times, right? And he did it in many ways that you didn't expect. You didn't think it was going to come that way. You walk into that lawyer's office, you didn't think it was coming that way. You get that phone call from that builder on the building, you didn't think it was coming that way. All the tears coming down your face. You know, crying out to God for bringing you that victory, and he's brought you victory after victory after victory. And probably every single victory you've received has never come the way you've expected it. But he brought the victory. Did he not? True. He's victorious. He doesn't lose. Let go of your expectations. Expect the victory, not the manner of the victory. He brought me great victories, and it was so subtle, I was just like, well, I was expecting something a little more dramatic. <laughs> and he's like, did I do it or didn't I? Did I do this? And I'm like, Lord, you did it. Then celebrate that, Kevin. Celebrate that. It's the voice of a king, ladies and gentlemen. You in kingdom, we have our father's voice who loves you. You have the voice of your father who will always love you and who will always affirm you. But if you want to walk in his kingdom, you must learn to hear the voice of a king who instructs. You understand? The voice of your father is not always koozie, koozie, koo. Right? Well, use you. Elias, when your, kids are, when your kids are younger, they're koozie, koozie, koo. Brian's all over here, and he's in koozie, koozie, koo. But eventually, that transition as a father, as a mother, it's not all koozie, koozie, koo. It becomes instructional. So they have the voice of a father who loves them, but they have the voice of the father who's a potter, which is leader, right? That's another name for father is leader. So they have the voice of the one who covers them, nurtures them, or protects them, and then they have the voice of the one who instructs them. We have to be able to listen to both. Jesus here is in the temple. They're confronting him. He, they want to kill him because he, he invokes the divine name. He said, if you were Abraham's children, you'd believe me. They're like, you're not even 50 years old. The dude wasn't even 30. I mean, talk about stress. 
You know, it's real bad when, you, when you're 30 years old and they think you look like you're 50. I mean, you think Jesus was under stress? I mean, come on, man. They're like, you look like you're 50 years old. Jesus is like, man, I'm 32. You know what I mean? I don't know. So they tell him, they tell him, you look, you have, how are you not yet 50 years old and yet you say you've seen Abraham or Abraham's seen you? And he said, before Abraham was, I am. He invoked the divine name, Yahweh, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. The becoming one. That's what the word Yahweh means. Yah, I have been. Ha, I am now. Ve, I am becoming. And it, that, be, that word ve is so powerful. It means the becoming beauty. I am the God who has been. I have been with you through every valley. I have been with you through every dark road. I have been with you on the mountain. I am that God who has been with you. Even when you didn't know me, even when you didn't know how it was going to work out, I worked it out for you. You didn't even see that I did it, but I did it for you. I'm that guy. I'm the God who's with you right now. Active, present, tense, spirit, power, now. I'm the God who's with you right now. Whatever you're in, wherever you're going through, I'm with you now. And I'm the God of your future, and I will bring beauty. That's what they means. I am and I will bring beauty. I am the becoming beauty. You think God's got a plan for your life? He wants to take, he wants to give you, take your ashes and give you beauty. That's what the Bible says. He gives beauty, Yahweh, for ashes. You're burned out, shot out, broken down, deceitful, corrupt. Who knows, ignorant, arrogant life, this ash heap, right, that we dress up and put bows on and make it pretty, you know, this burned out, shot out thing that we end up with half the time. God's like, give me the burned and shot out and I'll make it beautiful. I'll turn it around. I'll turn it around. You made a lot of mistakes. Jesus is like, all right, no worries. I'm the God of the past. I'll heal the timeline. He's the God of the past because he can heal your timeline. You understand? I'll go back and make all things new. I'll heal that timeline. Another story, another day. He leaves the temple, invokes the divine name. They're like, kill him. He leaves the temple. He's like, I'm talking to blind people. And he walks out and there's a blind man sitting at the temple gate. Jesus heals the blind man. Puts mud in his eyes, right? Spits. It's one of the keys to miracles. You got to give up your right to be offended. Huh? Blind man. Jesus spits, puts mud in his eyes. Can you imagine? Dude, would be, in modern day, we'd be like, who does this to a blind guy? Seriously, man, you're spitting in my face. You're going to put mud in my face. Who does that? But he, would, he refused to be offended. You want to be healed? You want to be restored? You want to be reclaimed? You have to refuse to be offended. We're so easily, hopelessly, arrogantly offended. You have to refuse, give up, say it with me. I need to give up my right to offense. Say this, the price of revival is dignity. The price of revival is dignity. You want an awakening? You want a revival? You got to give up your dignity. Mm -hmm. If you want what you've never had, you've got to do what you've never done. If you want to become who you've never been, you've got to give up who you've always been. You got to let that man go. The only person holding on to that zombie is you. That Frankenstein you got in the basement, you know, you keep putting the jumper cables on, their neck, on his neck, you know, making Frankenstein get up and start moving. Your old man, you know, Jesus has a better man. He's got a new man. 
that you're too married to that old man. You're too bound by the familiar to let go of what is familiar and embrace the hope that is set before you to be free. It's very hard to be free. It's got to give up everything you've ever known. It's very hard. We, 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 we practice conformity. The opposite of courage is not fear. The opposite of courage is conformity. Write that one down. Say it with me. The opposite of courage is not fear. It's conformity. We conform and thereby lose so much through our conformity. Another story, another day. So Jesus, they heal the blind man. They come and they interview the blind man. I'm getting there. Say it with me. He's getting there. All right, I'm getting there. He heals the blind man. The Pharisees find the blind man. They're like, who healed you? And the dude's like, I don't know, man. I'm blind. I don't know who healed me. And it's like, how did he heal you? And he's like, I don't know. He put mud in my eyes. And he told me to wash it off. And when I washed it off, I could see. And they're like, what do you say of this man? And the blind man says, he's a prophet. And so they kicked him out of the synagogue because they knew he was talking about Jesus. See, the Pharisees had made a little rule here because they liked rules. More fair, you see. So they, kept, they made another rule that if you confess Christ as Messiah, you're thrown out of the synagogue, which was really means you were exiled from the culture. Yeah, if you weren't part of the synagogue, you couldn't work in Jerusalem. If you weren't part of the synagogue, you couldn't find work. Your family was outcast. People didn't talk to you. Jerusalem, that's the way that city operated. And so the priests had those, had those control levers. They had those mechanisms to control the people. If you, didn't, if you went against them, sounds like our government, if you went against them, they would do things to you, right? They would never do anything to themselves. They would excuse themselves. They'd create, they, the Pharisees would commit blatant crimes and never prosecute themselves. Oh, no, no, no. But if you dropped a stick on the street, and it was illegal to drop the stick on the street, they would drop everything on you legalistic and oppressive, corrupt society is where he's, what he's working in. He starts speaking their language. So they find Jesus again after the blind man. They get rid of him. Jesus goes and finds the blind man. Say it with me. When everybody, everybody. rejects me, the Lord never rejects me. Jesus goes and finds the guy who was rejected by everybody. He, this guy just lost everything. The guy's blind. And now he can see, and they throw him out. So you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it wasn't bad enough that the brother's blind. Now he, can't, now he can see, and he can't even function in a real world anymore because they've just gotten rid of him. You see? And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows this guy's just suffered rejection. He's just known he's been thrown to the curb. And the Lord goes and sits down with him. Aren't you glad? You know, I got a phone call this morning from a woman in Denmark. Now, this doesn't happen every day of the week for me. You know what I'm saying? I'm standing in the kitchen. Richard's there. I was standing with my daughter and my, and my, my wife, and my phone's ringing. And I'm so sure, and I'm like, somebody's calling me from Denmark. I'm thinking it's like a travel agency or something, you know? Have you considered visiting Denmark this summer? You know, I thought it was one, and I didn't answer it. Then the number called back, and Sherry's like, answer it. And I answered the phone. This woman gets on the line, and she starts talking to me. And she's like, I'm calling for prayer. I don't know how she got my number. I have no idea how this person got my number. I have no idea. I don't know anybody in Denmark. And she asked me. She said, I'm calling for prayer. I said, okay, I'll pray for you. I said, what, what can I pray for you for? And she said, uh, I feel very alone, and everything seems very, very dark. And as soon as I heard dark, I'm like, excuse me. I'm going to go into the bedroom, pray for this woman. And so long story short, as soon as I hear darkness, I'm like, not on my watch. 
and just start ministering hope to this woman and start ministering life to this woman and start bringing hope and life into her world. I said, have you ever given your life to Jesus? Have you ever asked Jesus in your heart? She's like, I don't think so. I don't remember doing that. Today's your day, right? So lead her in the prayer and start asking her to bring the Holy Spirit into her life and giving her permission, giving the Holy Spirit permission to change everything. The woman just began to just weep, just weep. Do you understand? What's the point of that? Jesus sees a woman in Denmark, in Denmark, in Denmark, you know, I mean, right? Yeah, and she, and she calls me standing in my kitchen in Redland, Florida, and like, okay, and what an honor to me. What an honor that you would assign that to me, Lord, but he sees the outcast in Denmark. He sees the one who is alone in the dark in hopelessness of despair. He sees her and he prompts her. I don't know if it was like a supernatural impartation of my phone number. I don't know. I don't know how that happened. I have no idea. Shelly, do you have any idea how she got my number? No, you have no idea. See, Shelly's very protective of my phone number. <laughs> you know, here's my number. Don't call the pastor. Call me. You know, so anyway. <laughs> Google, she, but I, again, I don't even know. So if you're watching Abigail, we love you. We love you. Jesus loves you. Yeah. He sees the unwanted. <laughs> you know what I mean? He sees this man who's been rejected. He sits down with this man and he says, do you believe in the son of man? The blind man, former blind guy looks at him and says, I don't know who he is. And he says, I am he. And then he looked at him, he said, well, if you're the guy, he's like, well, absolutely, I believe. I believe. And so then after that, the Jews come and find Jesus again. And they want to continue the conversation because he called them blind. And they're like, you call us blind? How can we be blind? And he's like, you're blind. The Hebrew culture was an immersive culture. So we have Rome who gave us the system of government, right? So they give us the system of government. We have the Greeks who give us a system of philosophy, right? We get philosophy from the Roman, or we get an order or a structure, an empirical form of government comes from a Roman structure that they sort of enhanced from the Greeks. The Greeks were philosophical. So we get, the, we get most of our, you know, our culture of philosophy in the world comes a lot from Greek thinking. So we have that. Egyptians were really big in mathematics, as were some of the, uh, you know, uh, Persia and uh, Iraq was very, you know, a lot of the mathematical things that we have and, the, and things come from ancient Greece and, and, and or not ancient Greece, but uh, the, the Middle East and the Egyptians with pi and all of these things that they, that, that's what they contributed to the world. The Jews had none of that. They weren't mathematicians. They weren't engineers. They weren't philosophers. They were an immersive culture with one thing. They were an immersive culture that was to be completely immersed in the word of God and the presence of God. That was their contribution to the world. They were to be that. They were to be that people. And they were, for the most part, but their leaders had put religious structure around them. And that religious structure forbade them from becoming who they were called to be. And so when Jesus is making this conversation with these people, he's not being cute. He's not being poetic. He's not saying, I'm the door of the sheep, just to make a poem or make a rhyme. He's not doing that. He's actually speaking to them the word of God that they would have known. He, doesn't direct, he references Numbers 27, and he references Ezekiel 34. The language that he is using comes directly from those texts. When he starts doing the sheep 
shepherd language. The Jew, especially the Pharisee, who was in the word of God every day, all day, that was all they did, that was it. They would have known, they would have memorized the first five books of Moses. They would have memorized them. (laughs) They would have known them like the back of their hand. And so every time Jesus would reference Moses, they would know the reference he was making. So he's got Sadducees around him that don't believe the prophets, so he referenced Moses. The Pharisees believed Moses, so they were in on that one too. But the Pharisees believed the prophets, and so he references the prophets. And so when Jesus is speaking to them, he is speaking the language of the scripture. And he testifies it up to him. I'm going to show it to you. He tells him in John 5, he says, You search the scriptures, for in them you feel you have eternal life, but they are that which testify of me. Jesus is the what of God? He's the w- word, right? He is the embodiment of the word. He is the DNA of the word. He is the heart of the word, the meaning of the word, all of the word. He is the word. And he says, you want to look in your scripture because you, that's where you think life is. He says, no, the, the, the scriptures are pointing to me. Psalm 40, prophesying of Jesus. He says, I come in what is written of me in the volume of the book. He says, when I step into time, I will come to fulfill what is written of me in the volume of the book. So this language that Jesus is going to talk to them about, he's going to talk to them. He makes this reference from Numbers 27. You you wonder why they picked up rocks? You're like, are you trying to tell me that you are the divine name? Somebody give me a rock. Are you trying to tell me that you're the prophet from Moses? Are you trying to tell us that? That, That's why they they were just incensed with killing him. And he would kind of play around with that. And he never let the temperature reach the boiling point until the week of his crucifixion when he came riding in on a donkey. And that's when he declared himself Messiah Nagib. He declared himself the Messiah Nagib of Daniel 9, and they went nuts. Zechariah lowly riding on a court, but, but he did more than that. Daniel was an important book to them prophetically. That's why Jesus says in Daniel, the reference is always to the Son of Man. Always. The Messiah is called the Son of Man. So Jesus is walking around going, Son of Man, 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 Son of Man. He's referencing always messianic titles. And when he came riding in on the cult, <laughs> and he declared himself King Nagib, which is Daniel 9, they went crazy. And they're like, that's it. This guy's gone too far. As if he didn't go far enough. And that's when they crucified him. But Jesus didn't let them crucify him. He never allowed himself to be called king except that one time. He was king the whole time. When they crucified him, the title was over his head, king of the Jews. He was crucified for blasphemy. So he's a king who is equal with God. That's why they killed him. They killed him because he makes himself equal with God. He declares himself to be the Messiah Nagib, the the Messiah who is king. And when he did that, that's when it all went down. And that's exactly... What hung over him when he was crucified? Messiah Nagib. Crazy, right? So Moses, in Numbers 27, God, Moses is getting ready to check out. Moses is getting ready to leave. And so Moses, a good shepherd, cares for the people. You understand? So Moses is not concerned about where he's going. He's concerned about what will happen to these people when I leave. And so this is actually written in emphatic so when Moses is talking to the Lord, it actually, the, the structure of it is a declarative prayer. This is what Moses, Moses is making a declaration here. He's not just talking with God. He's declaring. Say it with me. He's declaring. And Moses speaks and says, let the Lord God of the spirits of all life, 
Let him set a man over this congregation who may go out before them and go in, that he alone may lead them and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord my God and the con this congregation shall not be as sheep without a shepherd. That's how he's saying it. He's not going, oh, God, oh, God, would you please just look down upon these people? No, he's making a declaration. Let the God of all flesh set an appoint, appoint one over these people. Well, ultimately, in the near, it was Joshua. Joshua succeeded Moses, but he's prophesying of one who will come, who will be the true shepherd of Israel. And so when Jesus is referencing this shepherd motif, right, throwing out the shepherd theme, he's referencing this prophetic word <laughs> of Moses, you understand that. That was very deep to them. And they, they knew what he was saying. They knew it. He's telegraphing it and he's claiming it. In Deuteronomy 8, 18, or Deuteronomy uh, 18, he says, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among you. And so that's when the people say, oh, he's, he's the prophet. When the people say he's the prophet, well, what, what is the prophet? The prophet is the Messiah who will be in the likeness of Moses. Well, what was the likeness of Moses? The likeness of Moses was the shepherd of the people. And so Jesus is making those references right there, and they would have known Deuteronomy, and they would have known Numbers. And then, in case that's not offensive enough, huh? Jesus is a scandalon. Say it with me. He's a rock of offense. He doesn't offend you to separate himself from you. He offends you to separate you from you. Offense means to push back. And so when Jesus offends you, he's trying to push you out of yourself, right? Because you're so full of yourself. There's no room for Jesus because it's all you there. You know what I mean? Most Christians would go a lot way if they got rid of more of themselves. Like, John, I need to decrease. He needs to increase because you're so full of you. You know, I don't feel the Holy Spirit. Maybe if you let go of you, you would have let the Holy Spirit come. But because you're so hanging on to you and you won't let go of you, you can't feel the presence and the power of God. Just a thought. This is just a thought. Say, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Kevin, he's my friend. I am. I'm your friend, here to help you. And so as if this didn't take them far, far enough, now he corrects them, and he offends them, and he takes it even, and he quotes Ezekiel. And he says that what he's referencing when he's talking about the shepherd and the thief and everything, and he's quoting Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy against them and say, and this, you're going to get a picture of what God expects from his church. He's going to put it right here. So we want to know, well, what are we supposed to do as a church community? What are we supposed to do as a church family? We're supposed to be a family, brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers. We're a family, right? Elevate. Say it with me. Elevate. Elevate. We're a family. We're right? Join the family. Right? Come on. Say this. All families are dysfunctional. Welcome home. <laughs> You're welcome. Anyway, so Jesus is telling them to prophesy against the shepherds, and he tells the shape, and he's saying the same thing to these Pharisees. This is Ezekiel long ago, but Jesus is referencing this. He says, Should not the shepherds take care of my feet, of my sheep? You eat their fat, you, you take their wool, you take and you consume their everything about them, but you do not feed them. See, they were allowed to partake of the sheep. They were allowed to take of the wool, they were allowed to take of the milk, they were allowed to take of the meat. But their first responsibility was to take care of the sheep so that there would be an abundance. Got me? And they weren't doing that. They weren't seeing it in that way. They were operating in a different spirit. And he says, you clothe yourself with these things and you do not feed them. And here it is. This is, what, this is his expectation. This is the expectation of the body of Christ. This is the expectation of the pastoral ministry within the church. This is the expectation of the ministry of the believers one to the other. You want to know what it is? 
He tells them, you have not strength, you have not, the weak you have not strengthened. So he expects the weak to be strengthened. The sick you have not healed. So he expects us to heal the sick. Well, isn't that what hospitals are for? Well, that's not what Mark 16 says, right? You shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, right? Over and over again in the Bible it tells us to minister. We have to, we are to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out devils and cleanse lepers. And he says, you're not doing this. You not doing this, I expect you to heal the sick. Ouch. The injured you have not bound up. You've not bound the wounds. People come wounded. People come broken. People come marred, scarred, ripped, shredded, the whole nine. We put a nice suit on them and put their hair back or do something really pretty, and we think the scars go away. The scars just don't go away. We have to heal the wounds. With the bind up the brokenhearted, that's what he's talking about. The binding up of the brokenhearted. People's issues are not so much external as much as they are internal. The pain, the anger, the regret, the bitterness, the hurt, the shame, the guilt, those aren't external, those are internal. And you can be a Christian and you can still be affected by those things. Don't shout me down, it's all good, I'm with you. And then the, you have not bound up the brokenhearted, nor have you sought after the lost. And he says, and you have ruled them with harshness. The Lord says, therefore, I myself will find the sheep and I will seek them out because they forsook them. So God expects us to seek the lost. He expects us to bind up the brokenhearted, the wounded people. He expects us to heal the sick, not outsource it. Church in these days, we're the king of outsourcing. Say, we don't know what we're doing. That's half the problem. He doesn't say it with me. I don't need to know what I'm doing. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. If you learn to listen, discern, and partner with the Holy Spirit, he'll lead you. He'll show you. But again, you have to lower your paradigms. You have to do it in the way, not as you believe it to be done, but in the way that he leads you to be done. He expects us to heal the sick. He expects us to bind up the brokenhearted. He expects us to take the weak and let the weak say, I am strong. He expects us to seek the lost. He expects us to, to, to care. This is what he expects. What Jesus tell Peter? If you love me, Peter, what? Yeah. His heart is always for the people. You should be glad. Your dog's heart isn't always towards you. Well, maybe. Your dog's different. Cats sometimes now, but anyway. <laughs> Jesus is always for you. Always for you. The ministry is always to the people. Always, 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 always to the people. Unto the Lord first, of course, then from the Lord unto the people. So the power to serve the people comes from the Lord. The power to love your wife, gentlemen, doesn't come from your deep, beautiful, glowing heart. It's true. The power to love your wife comes from Jesus. From the Lord unto your wife. Ladies, from the Lord unto your husband. It does not reside with you. It's always from him unto. You understand? That's the priestly ministry. We minister unto the Lord. The Lord releases unto us as a priest, and then the priest ministers forth. We are a kingdom of priests. That's what it is. It's always about others. It's not about you. Again, that's hard to understand in our culture as well. The Bible says when you water others, you yourself are watered. Yeah? When you love your wife, guys, it goes pretty good. Somebody help me out here, right? Is there anybody here? No? Thank you, Christian. Thank you. I got one brother who's nodding me in the front row right here. I'm a high. Don't leave me hanging. Come on. High five. There we go. 
Come on, Alex. When you love your wife, it goes pretty good, doesn't it? Right. 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 That's, what, that's when marriage is heaven on earth. But when you don't love that woman, good God. <laughs> I don't think I need a witness on that at all. So I think we're good with that one. When you love her, it's different. But that love that you need to give her doesn't come from you. It comes from the Lord. The honor that you need to give your husband doesn't come from you. It comes from the Lord. The strength that you need to do the things that God expects from you does not come from you. When we, say it with me. When I look to myself, I've already lost. You want to lose? Look to yourself. You don't have the answer. Jesus is the answer. You don't have the power. The power is given through the Holy Spirit. That's the necessity. We have to develop that. That's a, that's a growth strategy for our lives. That's what changes everything. That's another conversation, but you still, I need to still touch on it. Say it with me. Sheep need each other, and sheep need a shepherd. You say, now why do sheep need a shepherd? Alex, roll that video. I got a 30-second video that's going to show you why sheep need a shepherd. Wait for it. And that is why sheep need a shepherd. <laughs> Ten seconds later, back in the same place. <laughs> we need a shepherd. We need to follow God. <laughs> he says there's one door. No one can come in any other way. He's talking about his kingdom. The world's kingdom and my kingdom. You're not coming into my kingdom through L. Ron Hubbard. You're not coming through my kingdom through Osho. You're not coming through my kingdom through, through the mind spirits. You're not coming through my kingdom through Islam. You're not coming through my, my kingdom in any form other than me. And if you think you're coming in in another way, you will be considered a thief and a robber. Matthew put it in the form of a wedding. John's a little bit more direct. Matthew says you'll come in and you don't have the wedding garment, you'll be thrown out. You might, you, you know, the priest, the master of the feast is going to come up to you and say, how'd you get in here? And he says, founds the man without the, without the proper garment, and they threw him out. You're not coming into the kingdom any other way. You're not coming into the kingdom through good works. You come through Jesus and Jesus alone. A willful submission of the heart. It is a total loyalty and devotion unto him. All that I am for all that you are. It's that simple. It's that simple. There's, no, there's only one door. He said, everybody who comes before me is sheep and robbers. Every other prophet that led their own religion, everybody else that, you know, Joseph Smith, I mean, uh, the Watchtower Society, pick one. Every other one are thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers. And he says, watch this. You're going to like this. My sheep don't hear them. In other words, Jesus is looking for the clueless. Right here, Lord. You know what I'm saying? All these voices, and you're kind of like, nah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm not sure. About nah, I don't know about this. I'm just clueless. I don't know. Right? Jesus is looking for the people who are not under anybody else's voice. He's looking for the clueless. Aren't you glad? He found you, clueless you, and called you to himself. He takes the nobodies and turns them into somebodies. He takes the ones who will believe and he will make them unbelievable. Come on, say that with me. Jesus, 
takes the nobodies and turns them into somebodies. Jesus takes those who will believe and will make them unbelievable. This is the shepherd. This is how he desires to lead you. He says, I am the door. Enter by me and you'll be saved. Come in by me, man. You'll be saved. You don't have to second guess this thing. You don't have to try to figure it out. I just watched a testimony of a guy who was really into new age. And he says, I'm studying all these new age teachers. And all these new age teachers keep saying, Jesus is a teacher. Jesus is a teacher. And then I look at Jesus and Jesus says, I'm the only teacher. And he said, wait a second here. So all these other guys are pointing to Jesus. And Jesus is pointing to himself. So I guess Jesus is the guy. And he said, he got, exactly. And he got born again. And then he said, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. They said, well, how does your life change? He said, I got born again, and then I received the, the fullness of the Spirit. And he said, everything changed. He said, the greatest miracle in my life is that Jesus changed me. Amen. He said, he could have taken the mountain and thrown it into the sea, and that would have not impressed me as much as the transformation that he has done in me, the change that he has done in me. Can I get a witness on that, somebody, please? He says, if you'll, give your, if you'll come in by me, you'll come in. Everybody say, come in and come out of. That's what he's referencing here. You're not going to come in and out. The language is you will come in and come out of. You'll come into my kingdom. You'll come into light and out of darkness. That's how the Bible languages it, right? We're called out of darkness into light to declare his praise. We come out of that and into his world. We come out of a culture that is broken and fallen, and we come into a kingdom that never fails. That's right? This is a pizza kingdom. Even when, it's, even when it's bad, it's still pretty good. You know what I'm saying? This is how the kingdom works. It's never bad. It's always good. Even when it's bad, it becomes good. This is the kingdom that we are part of. We're sons and daughters. You're not common. If you're in Christ, you are not common. The only one who sees you as common is you. You and the devil. The devil doesn't even see you as common. He sees you as less than common. But the only people who have the perspective of you as being common is you and the devil. The Lord does not see you as common. The bread belongs to you. Your sons and daughters of the highest, your heirs on your worst day, your kingdom of priests, you're a chosen nation, you're a royal priesthood. Put your hand on your heart. It's going to be hard for some of you, but I'm biblically correct and biblically accurate on this, so I have no problem saying it. Say it with me. I am, I am. divine royalty by the blood of Jesus. I am an heir of this world and the one to come. All of the blessings, all of the promises in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. That's right. That's, what, that's the truth. Amen. It's the truth. <laughs> You're not common. The sheep have one job. You know what that is? What's the, job? What's the sheep's one job? Anybody know? Follow the shepherd. As long as they follow the shepherd with their beady little eyes and their stick legs and their dirty behind, right? As long as they do that, that's sheep. Beady little eyes, stick legs, and dirty behinds. You've got a dirty backside. Don't look back there. That's dirty, you know. As long as they follow the shepherd, it's all going to be good. Because they've come out and come in too, and the shepherd will always lead them to green pastures. He will always give them everything they need and more. He will give them still waters, quiet waters, green pastures. He will give them the restoration of the soul. If you really want to take it down that road. This is who he is. He's Jehovah-Rohi. That's his name. The Lord Shepherd. Jehovah-Rohi. He's, he's your inheritance. You don't know which way to go? Happy day. You have Jehovah-Rohi, son and daughter. 
He'll give you wisdom. If you learn to call upon his name, everything you ask in my name, well, is it just the name of Jesus? No. His name is multifaceted, multidynamic. He's the Lord Shepherd. Ask me in the name of the shepherd. Father, you, Lord, you're my shepherd. I need guidance. Lord, I'm going through the valley. I don't know which way to go. Lord, I'm going through the valley. I am freaking out. I need your rod and your staff to comfort me. F- figure that out. Begin to pray in the, in the relationship to his name. God will lead you. You are never without a compass. You have the Holy Spirit who will manifest the inheritance that is yours as a believer. Your inheritance is in his name. In his name. Jehovah Rohi. Your eternal inheritance. Jesus. Jehovah saves. Your inheritance of eternal life is in his name. Your inheritance of provision, Jehovah Jireh, is in his name. Your inheritance of healing, Jehovah Rapha, is in his name. Your inheritance of a life that overflows, Jehovah Shalom, is in his name. Huh? Your inheritance of favor, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, Jehovah Tzitkanu, is in his name. Your inheritance to his presence, day and night, night and day, you have access to his presence. Doesn't matter what you did, right? Smoking, drinking, and listening to Jay-Z, you still have access to his presence because it's your inheritance. It's your inheritance. I'm not telling you to smoke. Say it with me. The pastor, I need to be clear on this. The pastor is not telling me to smoke and drink and listen to Jay-Z. That is not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying you're not an outcast if you stumble and fall. If you still have habits and hang-ups, you still have access to your inheritance because it's given to you. It is a gift. Jehovah Shammah is his presence. The manifest presence of God is yours by right of inheritance. It's true. He says, the thief comes not to steal, kill, and destroy. I got three minutes, and I'm going to make it. I am going to make this. This is going to happen. Yes. He contrasts two different lifestyles. I don't have time to get into all of it. But he contrasts, he tells that he's basically telling the Pharisees that they're thieves, but he's also link likening them back to the higher, the, the ultimate thief, who is the devil. He tells them they're the sons of the devil, that they manifest the nature and the likeness of the devil. And Jesus is really, what he's doing is he's contrasting two lifestyles. You've come in and come out of. So long as you as a Christian, you want to live, you're a believer, you're in the world, but you're not of it. But if you're in the world and you still want to live like you're in the world, you can be saved and going to heaven but your life's going to be hell. You understand that? Because you're not operating according to the kingdom culture, you're operating to a fallen culture. We operate according to the principles of the kingdom, and that's how we manifest life. When you operate according to this world and the concourses of this world, you'll manifest what the world gives. The one who is the prince and the power of the air, Ephesians 2. What does it mean when the devil's the prince and the power of the air? He creates the cultural atmosphere of this world. That's what it means. You have the ability to shift atmospheres, and that's another day, another time, another season. Through prayers and the seeds and the attitudes and the things you bring forth, you can shift atmospheres. Simple thing, everybody's angry, somebody sows kindness. It's amazing how the room shifts, right? Everybody's insulting one another, and you give a compliment, right? I appreciate that. I appreciate you for pointing out my flaw and my weakness, Jim. You know, I just want to honor you right now as an honest and upper, you know, the whole room will shift. If we operate in the opposite spirit, we shift the atmosphere. But this cultural atmosphere is defined by the devil. It's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic, the Bible says. It's a wisdom not from above, but from beneath. Sick, twisted, broken, all around. 
It's if you've entered through the door. So if you live according to this world, this world will steal everything you have. Can I get a witness? And the world doesn't give it back. The only one who gives it back to you is Jesus. Right? He gives it back. He's the restorer. When the world takes, it never gives back. Ever. Ever. It will, just, it will steal, kill. It will kill everything you have, you hold dear. You want to play around and operate and be Christian and be a carnal Christian. Bible references it. Carnal Christians in the book of Romans. You're Christians, but you're carnal. You live by the flesh. You don't live by the spirit. You've lived like everybody else. You live by CNN and MSNBC and every other cultural whim. You live by the Wall Street Journal. You're a cultural Christian and you're not a kingdom Christian. That's okay. That's your choice. You're free. Be that person, but understand what, you're go- what, what your life's going to bring. And don't go, hey, I wonder why this is happening. Well, I'm telling you why it's happening. Because you're moving according to the concourses of the world. That means wide roads. You're living down the wide roads of the fallen world in a world that can produce nothing except theft, murder, and destruction. It will murder everything you hold dear. Live like the world. Do your relationship like the world. It'll murder it. Go ahead. Live anyway. Live that way. And then it'll all let me destroy your life. It'll destroy everything about you. But Jesus says, my way is life and life to the full. You see, he's contrasting two lifestyles here. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. You've come in and come out of. You're in it, but not of it. The the thief, the world you live in, is nothing about theft and destruction and murder. The world that I'm calling calling you into, the world that I come from, the world that I bring, is about life. It's Zoe life. It's a life that comes only from God. It's the illuminating life of the spirit. When you're in the spirit, that life that's alive in you, you're alive. Everything's cool. Everything's awesome. You're, you're stoked. You can go to Walmart. I was in Walmart, and I saw Sean in Walmart, but I was in the spirit. I wasn't dressed like it, but I was in the spirit, right? My hair's all messed up. I got work pants on. I'm walking in. Hey, Sean, what's going on? He's like, hey, man, I'm having a barbecue. I'm like, oh, that's awesome, but I was in the spirit. Walmart, how many knows Walmart can be a torturous place to go to sometimes? <laughs> My wife's like, I need you to go to Walmart and pick up a few things. I'm like, oh. I'm like, I need about 20 minutes to prepare myself. To <laughs> need to do some deep, immersive things before I walk into that place. And then Sean's walking around. He's like, he owns the place. He's like, I got the app, man. I got the app. He's, I'm like, there's an app? He's like, there's an app. <laughs> we live by the kingdom, and we have life. Anybody want life? Yes. Come on, live by the kingdom. Live towards Jesus. Worship him. You're loved. You're accepted. You're honored. He loves you. He's, say with me, he's for me. He's not against me. Let's get in the spirit every morning. Wake up in the spirit. How do you get in the spirit? Worship. Just start telling God good things. Father, I thank you for a beautiful day. I thank you that I live in the 305. I live in Miami. You live in paradise, Christian. Have you seen the weather? I mean, we live in a beautiful place. And sometimes we're so clouded we can't even see it. We, we, it's so true. We live in, you live in the United States of America. Say America's got problems. Yeah, America's got problems. So does India. So does Venezuela. So does Argentina. So does England. So does say, Australia. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Be part of the solution, not part of the problem. 
Honor the Lord. Thank you for the land of the freedom that I have, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity that I have. Thank you that I can serve you in this country. Your deductions to the church are 100% tax deductible. They're not in Australia. They're not in India. Australia has a deduction on the deduction. So they tax you on your deductions. Yeah. Figure that one out. Not here. Honor the Lord for what he has given you. Honor the Lord. You say, I have nothing. You have seed in season. You have much. You have much. Say it with me. I will not despise the seed, and I will not despise the season. That's another story for another day. Wake up and honor the Lord. You're like, what's that all about? Exactly. I got you, didn't I, huh? Got you, huh? Yeah. Anyway, honor God. Wake up. Honor him. Bless him. Get in his spirit. Move forward from that place in Jesus' name. If you've never given your life to Jesus, today is your day. Come in through the door. Come into the family. Jesus says, if you come in by me, you will be saved. Saved from what? Destruction, despair, hopelessness, yourself. Your biggest enemy is not outside. Your biggest enemy is inside. And the Lord says, I will save you from you. And I will save you from the guilt and the condemnation of sin. And I will begin a transformation process. A process of renewal, of reclamation, and restoration. This is what he wants to do. All of us have a sin problem and all of us are separated because of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is life eternal in Christ Jesus. The Bible also says if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has risen from the dead, you'll be saved. A life change is a prayer away. It's 40 seconds. You say it's not rational. Of course it's not rational. It's supernatural. Doesn't make sense to the mind, but it makes sense to the heart. The Bible doesn't tell you to believe in your mind, it tells you to believe from the heart. So we're gonna all you gotta do is just pray with us. Elevate here is gonna pray with you if you're at home and you got other people around you. Everybody pray together. It's painless. It's so good. Just let it be. Yield and open up your heart. Jesus can do many things, but he can't open your heart. He's given you the authority to give your heart or to keep your heart. It's yours to keep or it's yours to give. I suggest giving it. And so let's pray. Just say, dear Jesus, come on. I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am. I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We bless you for that. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, we're going to have a prayer team available over there. There'll be some people to pray for you if you need prayer at all, and then let me put a blessing over you one more time. Just open up your hearts and receive it. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May he give you peace, and may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.